welcome to the preaching ministry of Port St. Lucie Bible Church. We are a Christian church whose goal is to faithfully preach Christ from Scripture so that we might better love and serve Him. We pray that this message from God's Word would engage your mind with the truth and inspire your heart to obey Christ. Here's today's message. We are back in Acts chapter 6, folks. Uh, Last week's topic was concerning those who serve, and uh, this week I've titled the message Concerning Those Who Pray. And though last Sunday uh, we observed this passage at length, we dissected it and looked at the details of this message concerning persons dedicated to serve, Uh, We dare not rush past the apostles' statement in verse 4, where they in turn reply, uh, we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word. That that is a very pointed and, and a bold statement, a bold priority of spiritual leadership in the early church. And after having studied now, Six chapters, or in our sixth chapters, these earliest chapters of Acts, we have come to know and recognize uh, that the top two priorities of the early church are exactly these, prayer and the preaching of the Word. For a local church, these two elements are absolutely crucial. And their absence is so detrimental uh, that we will need to treat these two spiritual disciplines uh, separately uh, today and next Sunday. Today's topic then is prayer. Next Sunday will will be the ministry of the Word. Uh, But before we begin, uh, the the keen observer uh, might be tempted to ask, uh, prompted to ask this question, why do the apostles hear not also include amongst their highest priorities or their their highest disciplines, fellowship and the breaking of bread. There are four elements included by Luke as he describes the church in Acts 2 verse 42 uh, in that they were, quote, continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, that's the ministry of the word, and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So the question might be raised, uh, why don't the apostles solemnly pledge devotion to all four here in Acts chapter 6? My conclusion would be that that both of those, fellowship and the breaking of bread, uh, occurred naturally in the church. They occurred naturally, uh, therefore there would be little need for the apostles to orchestrate them. And and though the apostles would also remain devoted to these, uh, just as Acts 2.42 would imply, uh, they felt no special burden, no unique burden as apostles uh, to coordinate fellowship or common meals. In fact, I would actually expect that today uh, many pastors and church staff invest way more energy into organizing people's social calendars 
than the apostles ever would have. You know, it, it can happen today that uh, a pastor uh, will focus so much of his week on promoting social events, uh, special events, that it leaves little time for devotion to prayer and the ministry of the Word. Uh, yet, when we look at this narrative rationally, we found that there were roughly 12,000 or so, perhaps more people in the Jerusalem church at this time, uh, I would say the apostles did not concern themselves with who was fellowshipping with whom, or who was enjoying Italian with who on Friday night. I, I doubt that with this large of a movement, they were really concerned with, with those things of fellowship and common meals. Peter, you know, is probably saying something more like, y'all have phones. Figure it out. Get together. Enjoy the fellowship. Enjoy the meals. Uh, by contrast, a major temptation for churches today is to become very event-driven. Very event-driven. And this is because... Uh, very often we know, we've come to realize that visitors select churches, they've come to select churches somewhat like they would a movie theater. They ask, you know, is, is there anything good playing? If so, what is the showtime? And nominal Christianity is, has now almost become completely consumer-driven. Is there good parking? Easy access? Something invigorating to see? Uh, and will anybody ask me to do anything afterwards? Because my, actually, my only interest is to watch. And church can become, folks, something like uh, visiting Broadway. Our message last Sunday concerning service uh, confronted that, that sinful spectator within us that's our alter ego, who prefers just to sit and watch um, faith without works, James told us, is dead. Uh, and, and yet, recognizing this spectator mentality that has developed today in the world, and, and in the world in which we live, the most common attraction used to allure an audience today is music. Yeah, Sunday morning is emotionally charged with music. Yeah, sometimes it will act, uh, the act will also include a variety of characters uh, combined with the right setting, maybe props, other things. Uh, but most assuredly, it is the, the invigorating sensation of the music combined with setting the right mood, even perhaps a sensual mood, that proves very effective at drawing spectators. Compare this with the typical attendance at prayer meetings. Typically, prayer is not nearly as effective at drawing crowds as is music. Now, I, I just am incredibly honest, sincerely honest when I, when I state our worship, worship music here is wonderful. 
It is wonderful. I was going to say that was just wonderful music today. Uh, that might imply them, though, that isn't, it isn't wonderful every Sunday. And it is. The, the, the balance of the classic hymns along with the, with the contemporary music is, is sensational, in my opinion. And, and we combine those classic hymns with contemporary songs uh, that are theologically driven. Theologically means the lyrics teach and admonish us as Colossians chapter 3.16 would ensure Christian music is supposed to. There the Apostle Paul writes, quote, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So biblically, and that's irrespective of style or instrumentation that varies from place to place, um, Christian music is to always remain doctrinal. It's, it's instructive uh, concerning the words of Christ, of sin, of grace, of redemption. Uh, thereby, it creates thankful hearts from within. Um, th- this is the scriptural intention of worship music. Um, consequently, music which is spiritual, spiritual music, it both teaches us the way and admonishes us when we have turned astray. I'll be honest as well, sometimes singing about the way that that God has redeemed me from my sins uh, through the blood of Christ that was shed at Calvary, at times that, that can make me quite emotional. Yet the Bible In the Bible, we never see Jesus or his apostles employing sensual music or or any kind of emotionally manipulation uh, to draw a crowd. With that said, again, our our worship music is solid. Uh, I am still trying to get Ken to grow a pointy goatee and dye that black. Maybe maybe a little dark eyeliner below the eyes. That would maybe make us hip. I don't know. But increasingly, the church's image and and the style of music becomes the sole determining factor for choosing a church. I'll ask the question. Maybe you've thought of it already. Where among the strength, the vitality, the growth that we have seen in this early church, have we ever found any reference to implementation of music? Has there been any reference to singing or instrumentation at all? None. Nor will there be any credit given to music for enhancing or promoting church growth anywhere in this book. Remember, this is titled The Acts of the Apostles. This is what the apostles did. And the only place that I found a reference to music is is chapter 16 where Paul and Silas are singing hymns from prison. They're in prison and start singing hymns of praise. 
Um, now, now, I am confident, I'm confident that there was singing and that there was instrumentation in the early church and that it can encourage us, it can edify us, it can lift our hearts uh, without question. Um, Jesus and his disciples on the night in which he was betrayed, as they were walking out to the Mount of Olives, actually sang a hymn. Um, As I noted earlier, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs are prescribed later in the Bible for teaching and admonishing us. Uh, Still nowhere have we, nor will we, find any reference to music or atmosphere being credited for Christian conversions Uh, nor is it ever employed by the apostles to stimulate attendance. Uh, Interesting indeed. Uh, Certainly, we are nowhere instructed to choose a church solely on the basis of music. This is not a diatribe against good music. Don't get me wrong. Nor is it any defense of any church that does really lousy music. And that's a death knell, right? No, the intro, intro here is crucial to highlight. Uh, it's an observation of what should be driving church growth. Increasingly, people attend churches sometimes almost exclusively on the style of music, the mood, the atmosphere, and how that combination makes them feel. Houston, We have a problem. Because having studied six chapters, we can answer the following question. What is credited in Acts and throughout Scripture for spiritual conversion and church growth? Strength and growth are credited to two spiritual disciplines gathering to pray, and the ministry of the Word, speaking the Word with boldness. These are the two things. And consequently, true Christian conversion, that that would include the Spirit's regeneration of the heart, the miracle of God from within us. Christian conversion hinges upon prayer and the ministry of the Word. Should it surprise us then that these are the very two things that the apostles themselves devote to? I would propose it would be wise for every Christian church to pursue with great diligence these highest priorities of Scripture and of Christ, beginning today with prayer. Let me ask you one further question. When is the last time you chose to attend or become a member of a church based on the fervency of its prayer? Boy, this church really prays. Boy, you can tell the leadership really pours themselves into nurturing an environment of prayer at this church. 
Be honest. Have you ever assessed the spiritual vitality of a church you have visited according to its ministry of prayer? No. It's the music. It's the parking. It's the coffee. It's the architecture. It looks great. The speaker is even funny. Coffee and parking then being somewhat higher priorities to us than prayer, should it be any surprise if we've not conditioned ourselves and our families to attend uh, the prayer gatherings on Wednesday night? Um, We have had here some prayer meetings that are quite fervent, quite incredibly, even times uh, uh, moving the emotions and the heart. Uh, Other nights you're Kind of wondering, where is everybody? But if prayer sits last on our list of places to be, you know, just below Burger King, should we be expecting God to be using us at all? And perhaps we should not be embarking on any other ministries until we have first, uh, as the church did in Acts 2.42, devoted ourselves to this very thing, prayer. Many of you who speak to me uh, uh, regularly know that this has been gnawing at me now for for several months, this topic of prayer, this question of prayer. And I I have been forced to wrestle uh, with this following question uh, one more, as we haven't had enough questions today. Um, but it's this. If any church finds itself unwilling or undevoted to prayer, can it legitimately consider itself a Christian church? Are some congregations deceived and living a lie? Well, today I would like to challenge us to think scripturally and, if needed, adjust our priorities in life because the apostles state as the first among two highest priorities that we will devote ourselves to prayer. And I will continue to offer a defense as I go along that these apostles aren't Uh, In this case, just speaking of themselves in prayer. Uh, For for example, uh, we 12 are going to gather together. The rest of you go to Burger King. Nor are the apostles implying that those seven men who are assigned to the task of giving bread to widows or taking bread to widows, they aren't implying that they are now somehow exempt from gathering For prayer. Uh, No, as spiritual leaders, as these spiritual leaders, they are devoting themselves in verse 4 to the difficult, challenging, and consuming task, the work, the service of cultivating a membership who gathers to pray. That's not a 10 minute job. Sure, the twelve prayed alone. Certainly, they prayed as a group of twelve together. 
But in verse 4, they are not by any means suggesting, uh, oh, you other 12,000 should go about your lives undisturbed uh, while the 12 of us huddle in a corner and devote ourselves to prayer. That is not at all. That would be contrary to everything that we have seen in Acts thus far. Everything we've witnessed has been gatherings for prayer um, leading up into this point. Uh, folks, the Jews were a culture who was very, uh, they were raised in a culture of prayer. This was commonplace for them. We saw back in chapter 3 that Peter and John were going to the temple at the ninth hour of prayer. Uh, that hour occurred at 3 p.m., the hour of prayer, they called it, which occurred every day at the temple. But we cannot conclude uh, that that was just Judaism or that God would no longer, you know, you know accept or notice. Uh, welcome that hour of prayer today, you know, as if after Pentecost, those designated times of prayer, those designated places of prayer, they're just old-fashioned. You know, the outdated stuff. Uh, that, that is not reality at all. For every prayer meeting thus far in Acts, there, there had to be a time assigned and a place designated for it. How else would people know where and when to show up? It had to be organized, had to be coordinated. Consider the centurion Cornelius. He was a Gentile that we're going to learn about in chapter 10. Uh, he will later re relay to Peter that, quote, four days ago to this hour, I was praying in my house during the ninth hour. What is that? That's the hour of prayer at the temple. And Cornelius, though he was displaced far off in Caesarea at that time, uh, he had disciplined himself to observe and join what was established as the common hour of prayer. And Peter responded to him with enthusiasm saying, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer. Peter, that same passage says, himself joined the sixth hour of prayer. So apparently devotion and discipline and prayer, even to a specific hour of prayer, that, that is not outdated with God at all. Uh, that is Acts 10, 30 if you, 10 verse 30 if you would like to look up that context and read it for yourself. In Colossians chapter 4 and verse 1, the Apostle Paul tells that whole church in Colossae, devote yourselves to prayer. In 1 Corinthians 7, verse 5, devote yourselves to prayer. In Romans 12, verse 11, we are to remain, quote, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. From the very beginning in Acts chapter 1 and verse 14, the apostles persevered, quote, all with one mind, continually devoting themselves to prayer. 
And the twelve were not gathering alone there. Instead, it continues to read, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers, a gathering of about 120 persons were there together. Notice also, they did not segregate according to gender. And prior to Pentecost, 120 indicated everyone was there. That's how many there were. And again, we see all of God's people gathering to pray. In Acts 2 verse 42, now after the day of Pentecost has come and gone, they have added some 3,000 souls into the mix. Again, we see, quote, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Continually devoting themselves. That doesn't mean a week or a week or two. But they were continually, the, the word means steadfastly devoted to prayer. And years later in Acts chapter 12, under persecution, we will see Peter is arrested. And where do we find uh, those who know him? Uh, it says still many were gathered together and were praying. It wasn't just the 12 who had devoted themselves to prayer. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, listen to the Apostle Paul as he employs four diverse terms for prayer, four different facets of prayer, uh, while emphasizing they are all to remain first in priority for the church. Here we go. 1 Timothy chapter 2, he writes to the church, quote, First of all, the Greek there, that doesn't mean first in order. It means first in priority. doesn't mean do this and then do everything else after you're done. It means keep this the highest priority of your church. He says, first of all, I urge that entreaties, there's one, and prayers, that's two, petitions, three, and thanksgivings, four, be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. The state of our existence, peace and tranquility, is linked. It hinges upon our willingness to gather and pray. How does this get overlooked? Now, you and I have visited a few churches in our day, right? We've been shopping before every one of us. We've been around... And the embarrassing lack of devotion to corporate prayer gatherings ought not surprise us that America is in turmoil. And many of us would describe our environments at home, at work, elsewhere as a bit less than tranquil and quiet. 
But if you believe God's word, and, and I believe we all do, and in light of 1 Timothy chapter 2, buckle your seatbelts, might we consider the reason behind our turbulence isn't sitting in the White House? Perhaps it's sitting in God's house. The most patriotic Christians ought to embrace our scriptural privilege and our prerogative, our obligation to pray, uh, not just one time or every other time, uh, but all the time. That's the picture we get in Scripture. Your country depends on it. Yet all around America, you know, persons identifying as Christians, uh, they fail. We fail to faithfully gather to pray to God. We'll gather for a show, but Christ never asked us to gather for a show. So we may need to remain confident that Christ will wait to alleviate society's flaws. Our personal failures, our utmost frustrations until we humble ourselves to pray. Now it's time to go there. I didn't want to have to do this. But we have to go there. It is a passage uh, often abused, stretched out of its purpose uh, that I, I've come to rarely cite it over the years, but this topic is prayer. I have no choice but to go there. It is Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 13 where the Lord says, If I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain... Or if I command the locust to devour the land, or if I send a pestilence among my people, and my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and I will heal, heal their land." I know some would protest, uh, but that promise in context, in its immediate context, is made to the nation of Israel, not directly to us. That is so true. You are right. And this we would use as a justification to avoid praying to our Father, who is so supremely Sovereign, that by his might he commands the raindrops to where they shall fall. He directs the simplistic mind of each locust. He thwarts every plague and disease that he chooses. But we would conclude that he can't heal our marriages. He can't crack the door to a better job when needed. He can't open the hearts of your children to receive Christ. I beg to differ. The Lord of heaven says, I surely can. 
Maybe part of the problem is we've been praying with our minds. He's a God who can't. The Lord of heaven says, I surely can do it. But first you will have to humble yourselves and pray. So what prevents us from gathering for prayer? Perhaps on some occasions your job. Certainly, I understand that for sure. Others may not be able to drive at a particular time. Yes, I I, I agree. There are times it's safer to stay home. There are other reasons. We aren't ones to guilt and pound people into the ground here at all. Um, But in contemplating the power of God, which he wields to accomplish all of his purposes, what other priorities sit higher upon our totem poles? What is more important than gathering for prayer? And to what other places are we perfectly willing to drive on a weekday evening? Are you tired after a long day? So was Jesus when he knelt to pray in Gethsemane. Are your joints achy? So were Christ when he prayed from Calvary, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. We should, we should be real glad that Jesus didn't give up on prayer so easily. What about these words uttered by our Lord who cleansed his temple of every unclean thing while saying, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer. That was in the temple of the living God uh, where people were to gather to pray. That was in Jerusalem. And now Paul the apostle told the church in Corinth, Do you not know that you are a temple of the living God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? In our scripture reading earlier, James writes, You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. Oh, you adulteresses. Do you think that the Spirit, uh, or that Scripture speaks to no purpose, that He jealously desires the Spirit which He has made to dwell within us? I wish I had time to return to James chapter 4 as I would like, Um, but it seems already in the time of James as some in the early church had forgotten how to pray. Some of us need to be taught how to pray. The apostles said, Lord, teach us to pray. From our children being little ones, very often we've, we've made the mistake when they want a toy at Christmas. We'll say, go to bed, pray to God, maybe you'll get it. That's not the way we pray. It's not to get stuff. We need to reshape our prayer. 
we need to reshape our priorities. Um, God gives us the grace and the knowledge through his word to do just that. Uh, I am convinced it is primarily the nurturing of corporate prayer that the apostles were devoting themselves in Acts chapter 6, verse 4. Why do I think that way? Well, uh, it's because Christians gathering for prayer has been portrayed as the highest priority throughout the first six chapters of Acts. Why would they do a 180 right now? And the apostles knew, unless the shepherds of the church are leading that, scheduling that, coordinating that, enhancing that, with great emphasis driving that, uh, the gatherings for prayer will theologically drift. People's priorities will change. There's much that can be said about the, the benefit of praying alone, praying by ourselves. Uh, the apostles do that as well. Uh, it may be part of their statement in verse 4 also. Um, we must all, we must each put greater emphasis on personal and private devotions. That will be another sermon down the road. But that is not what we have seen as the church's emphasis thus far in the book of Acts. So to the one who says, you know, I, I don't have to gather with the church to pray, you know, because I can pray just as well alone at home. I have two questions. Number one, how do you harmonize that statement with what is clearly revealed in Scripture? Number two, your sincere devotion to prayer at home, how's that going for you? If most are honest, we would likely reply, you know, it's, it's not really going as well as I would like. We need one another to pray. We need to hear one, of the, one another's voices being raised in prayer. We need to hear the concerns of the church, the corporate church voiced, lifted audibly. We need to hear the names of the people in this church whom we are asking God to save. We all need to hear the prayer requests of those who are sick. <laughs> you can't do this alone at home. If you're not present for prayer gathering, how do you know the cause you can serve or how to minister to the one who is sick? We've relied too long on long email lists. That's a modern invention if you didn't know. Just send out a list. That's been a complete disaster for most churches. Most people ignore them. That does not constitute the church gathering for prayer. Um, sending out lists has been often used to circumvent prayer meetings. Yeah, just send me the list. Give me some names and I'll get around to it maybe. No, the apostles said we will devote ourselves to prayer and if their words have touched your heart today, 
Uh, it is Wednesdays at 7 p.m. That is the opportunity to reconnect and devote ourselves to prayer as well. A few just practical things to mention as we depart. Number one is we can't practice this discipline well on Sunday mornings. Sunday morning is it's devoted to corporate worship. It's a time where special attention is given to the re- public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. That's 1 Timothy 4.13, another priority of the church, the ministry of the Word. Um, next Sunday, we will see that the apostles will also devote themselves uh, to that, the ministry of the Word. And though we pray together in both adult Sunday school before and after Mike gives the lesson, um, These are prayers generally directed at spiritual growth through learning. What we are learning for the day that the Spirit would guide our hearts to understand and respond. There there are far more concerns that must be expressed behind this one sitting together. It's just a practical, practical uh, thing. Uh, we, we could collect people's prayer cards uh, right away. Um, and try to exhaust this church's concerns, uh, boy, people would be really hungry by the time we left. Changing gears from a preaching setting to a prayer setting, that's, that, that is quite challenging. One of the reasons you don't see a lot of churches do that, is switch right over and go into prayer. Uh, rather, it has been practiced throughout the ages that churches designate a, a particular hour of prayer. Temple prayer began at the ninth hour. This is just so people knew when to show up. For us, it begins at 7 p.m. Whether it lasts 20 minutes or 40 minutes, uh, when it ends this Wednesday, we will, we will begin with our devotional lesson afterwards. But as our summer schedule begins now, um, I would ask this for those who are like, I have that time slot available. I'd like to give this a whirl. Um, I would ask as the summer schedule begin, begins, try, try to do your best to be there on time. Try to, be your, try to do your best. You can show up a few minutes early if you like. I will for sure uh, prepare our hearts and get settled. I get my mind organized before we begin. Uh, but my plan is to begin handing out our prayer cards at 7. Or right about seven. Okay, you can test me on that when we show up. Um, and the first prayer uttered, if that, if that is a member of this church who desperately needs assistance from us, we all obviously want to be there to hear it. We don't want to come in 15 minutes late. It'd be like missing, missing the first 15 minutes of Top Gun Maverick. You'd never see him fly hypersonic. No, if you miss part of the prayer, you miss the opportunity to respond and serve Christ's church. So try to. I know there's always people who are running late and it's a work night and other things. Um, but uh, try to be there on, on time if you can. Additionally, before you come, fill out a prayer card. It's right in front of you. I was going to hold it up here. 
It's right in front of you. Fill out a prayer card. You can drop one in the offering box today. I will pray for it first thing tomorrow. We will continue on with it on Wednesday evening. Salvation of souls, persons we can locally visit in the hospital, etc., etc. We'll learn this together as the disciples ask Jesus, teach us to pray. It's it's a learned skill. It's a cultivated skill. Uh, So to help guide us in the prayer, uh, I have numerous prayer cards I'd also like to add if you've not joined us. Pre-filled out, laminated. There are numerous prayer cards I have here that express scriptural priorities for prayer if you need a little direction. That's, that's what they're for. For example, uh, the names of uh, our missionaries are on some. You might come in late after work and say, I don't even, can't even remember the names of our missionaries right now. Well, here it is right here, some of our missionaries. Other items such as uh, that we would become Christians who evangelize, that we would become laborers who will be sent into his harvest. That's a godly prayer right there. That might spur you to think about how you might pray as well. Um, It's God's will I have here that that we continually pray for God to open doors to the gospel. Many different things. This is just a handful here and I'll continue to expand. But these these are just an aid. Just to help you uh, not to uh, manipulate or whatever you want to pray for. But uh, these guides help us in prayer. And uh, uh, for those names, uh, those people who you've witnessed to in the last week, please put them on a prayer card or any other requests. Uh, The best way to ensure that your prayer request uh, is heard on Wednesday evening is to fill fill out a card and drop it in the box. Bring it with you Wednesday evening. Text me a photo of it. If you're like, I'm not going to make it tonight, snap a photo of the card, send it to me. My cell phone number is right in the bulletin that you have there, and we will get it prayed for. And uh, finally, as you come, not everybody has to feel obligated to pray, pray each night. I know some people, uh, it takes them a while to open up. Some just aren't really public, uh, public people. What is important is that everybody hears the requests that are on these cards so that our hearts together can respond. And uh, now that summer has begun... Bring your children. Bring your children. Uh, They too need to learn how to pray, and they need to hear that their church prays. Uh, I have so much more I could say to this. I'll share more as as the weeks through summer progress, Uh, but this is sufficient today. Uh, What is left to do? Oh, let's close with a word of prayer. Father, as you are our Father in heaven, and holy is your name, uh, we pray that your kingdom come, and that it would, your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And as we celebrate today our own fathers, where they've, where they've influenced us and directed our lives, uh, we thank, we're thankful for uh, every positive experience that we've had. And uh, we'd ask that your blessing would be upon them, uh, those who are with us, especially today. And as we, as we speak to a topic uh, that isn't, uh, isn't stressed enough, 
uh, in our own words, but definitely in your word, Father, it is amplified uh, with, with, a, with a huge megaphone. And as we know it is your will that we pray, as we know that it's your will that we would gather to pray, uh, and that you've shared your will with us in your word, Lord, we, we ask that you would use us to accomplish uh, your purposes on earth that we would be the witnesses, that we would give the testimony uh, that you would see fit in order to build your church, in order to, to add to it a salvation of souls, more people uh, that, will, that will glorify the name of your Son. Father, we pray here, it is your, your will that we pray for open doors to the gospel. As Paul says, that, that we would speak in the way we ought to, that we would speak boldly, that we'd speak kindly, but urgently. That those, those people around us uh, might hear that there is forgiveness of sins through your son, Jesus Christ. And uh, help us be faithful. Forgive us where we failed. And we all know that if we confess with our sins, um, you're faithful and just to forgive us of our Forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And uh, therefore, Lord, we are clean. We are made clean through confession to your Son. And uh, you have prepared us uh, then to walk in your way and to do your will and to rejoice in the ministry that we share. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.